What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Hardwood Knox. This is Adam Frommel here with my fantastic co-host, Dan Favalli. Before diving deeper into any of what we'll be talking about today, Dan, how's it going? Relative to the world burning around us, I have minimal complaints myself. Uh, how about yourself? I get that. I get that. It is a. It's been a weird time, and I think like this podcast in a lot of ways is like a microcosm of the world in general, where we're kind of going to ignore the the COVID nineteen cases that are rampaging throughout the league and causing postponements of games and possibly forcing the NBA to think about like just pushing games back entirely until things are more under control and instead just talk about the top rookies in this 2020 draft class. I, so for this episode, I will oh, say, ahead. I don't think there's a wrong way to handle it. I don't know if you listen to, but I listen to the Dunktown podcast and the host there, they have just collectively decided that they're not going to cover the league anymore until they do something about what's going on. And I, I totally respect that. Uh, if my livelihood wasn't so tightly tethered to covering the NBA, I might feel the same. And I just don't know that I don't know that there's a wrong way to go about it at this point. I get that sports is an escape for people. I get that this situation was collectively bargained. So I don't fault anybody who just wants to talk hoops. I don't um, fault anybody who wants to talk both. I don't fault anyone who's just going to, you know, remove themselves or distance themselves from the league. I I understand every single side, and there's definitely the NBA is definitely like there's an element they've, they've fucked up here. Like it's, that's, that just goes without saying. Uh, but that's, you know, we're not, you know, health experts. And so we're, that's not going to be the focus. It's definitely at the fore of our minds. And I don't fault any approach to how this is going on aside from, you know, we're at least acknowledged that it's happening. Uh, don't ignore it entirely, but I don't know that there's a right answer from our side for a way to, to cover this because like, we're still going to watch the product, even if we're critical of how they're handling the situation. And that's just, that makes us hypocrites. Make, I'll say for myself anyway, it makes me a hypocrite. There's an element of, yeah, my job depends on it too. I don't know how to handle it beyond this just rambling right here though. And that's just where I'm at. No, I'm, I'm with you. And I, I do think it's it's been frustrating and difficult to fully understand like what exactly goes in to these health and safety protocols. Like after Jason Tatum has a post-game hug with, with Bradley Beal, like why is he the only one that is put into the health and safety protocols when everyone on the court was spending time with him and guarding him closely. And like, none of this like makes full sense. And it, it feels like the NBA is kind of figuring out as it goes, which is not 
the ideal way to handle a pandemic, especially coming off a, a, a bubble experience that was an unqualified positive. And, you know, we get that it's impossible to ask all the players to, to go into a bubble for a full regular season. And that, as Dan said, this was collectively bargained, but it just, it all feels weird and strange. And all of that is to say that this podcast is fully meant to be an escape for those who want it to be an escape. And if you don't, then turn it off and do what you need to do to escape. This great self-promotion right there. Just turn off this I podcast. Mean, yeah. I mean, let's be honest, right? Like if you don't want to, if you don't want to talk about basketball, like that is your right. We are not faulting. I totally that. understand. I know. It's fully your you. prerogative. Yeah. Just hit unsubscribe anyway, right now. Let's rookies. keep the promotion going. Don't subscribe to this podcast. Unsubscribe <laughs> to this podcast. I'm going to get some, uh, some interesting feedback on that, aren't I? Yeah. <laughs> I am ready to talk about rookies instead of the NBA's inconsistent policing of the the pandemic procedures. I will still say I am confused. You brought up the good point about Tatum and Bradley Beal. Uh, and I've tried to find things on the like the science of the NBA saying like they don't consider in-game play high risk of transmission because it takes being in close proximity for 15 minutes or something like that. But a hug between Bradley Beal and Jason Tatum that didn't last uh, – 15 minutes and didn't include any like you know i i don't i just that's the inconsistency there maybe there's they have access to better science than than i can but there's you hinted on it the the thing i'm struggling most with is just it feels like the policy itself is inconsistent i do have no doubt though that it's at least rooted in some form of reason other than haphazard thinking but it's it is also strange because like so in, in colorado where i live you can download an app and i'm not sure how true this is for other states but you can download an app and if you test positive then you can put into the app that you have tested positive and it will alert the phones of anyone who also has the app and their phone came in close proximity to your phone there's no like 15 minute rule so like that that's the first i've heard of of that being required for transmission which almost feels like a post hoc justification for the decisions the league is making maybe that's too cynical but it's, it's, as Dan has said, like, I don't know about this either. So yeah, I'm learning I, on the fly as well. It's just if they say places like gyms are supposed to be the worst of all, then theoretically a basketball game that like simulates at least like the the physical exertion of what would be happening at a gym where you're in closer proximity yeah, to people. They're never breathing hard. They're yeah, in such so, good shape. But again, it's the I, this is still so new and we're not experts on it. That's just what I'm struggling to wrap my head around is – Look, I'm still watching the games, and so I understand there's hypocrisy here. And the NBA stopping is not good for either of our jobs. Like, let's just flat out. I still just don't understand the way that things are are being enforced here right now or monitored, whatever word you want to use. With that said, though, can you please take us through our impressions? <laughs> so, uh, so rookies, the rookie rookies, time. yeah. Yeah, so we're going to be running through the 2020 NBA draft, uh, going through the lottery picks. And just how our impressions have changed and then kind of the roles or levels that we're buying these players are going to hit based on these early small sample impressions. And then after we get through those top 14 picks, we'll also mention a couple of names from outside the lottery that have impressed us. Or I guess if you have any that have really unimpressed you um, from outside the lottery, though, I think that's a little harder since those those players tend to enter with more diminished expectations. So we'll start at the top with the the first overall pick, Anthony Edwards of the Minnesota Timberwolves. I will say that, you know, as I, I would imagine most listeners of the podcast know, like I was very critical of him, didn't think he should be the number one pick. And I, I don't know 
how my feelings have changed because it's been such a mixed bag. Like his feel for offensive spacing, I think, has been a little bit better than I expected. But his skills and defensive awareness have also been worse than I expected. He's clearly a great athlete, but like there are some serious flaws. And I, I'm curious, like, have you seen anything that has has led you to change your opinion uh, and come more towards me, veer further away from me, or whatever it may be? I don't know that it's actually changed my opinion. I might be a little bit higher on him than I was before. Watching how strong he's able to go to the rim and actually get what look like high quality looks is tantalizing to me and he's shooting 54.5 percent inside five feet which is not good but just the fact that he's getting there and making these strong pushes it gives me hope that touch around the rim is something he can solve i think what was already going to be the big thing can he improve his jumper and like he looks kind of comfortable taking shots off the dribble right now but like the efficient the efficiency just isn't there he has an effective field goal rate on pull-ups of 23.3 which is Again, not great. I think that's bad. Yeah. And the the defensive stuff, I, not that I throw it out the window for rookies, but I tend to try and focus on the positives of which I feel like there have been very few for him, except for the fact that he's clearly strong on that end and can give you a lot of positional flexibility if he gets to the point where he's going to be more aware. Uh, the offense, though, I, I think there's going to be a, a fair, a fairly efficient high-volume scorer in there and that this is someone who's going to have, I think when we look back, an appreciably better career than essentially his predecessor, who is Andrew Wiggins. It, it could be for sure. Um, I, I do think that it's important to note that his personality has been outstanding and a breath of uh, a breath of fresh air. Like it's been really fun to listen to him in post game pressers and pre game interviews and the one off interviews. Like he's just got a great sense of humor and a great personality, and that makes me want to root for him even more than I already did as a fellow UGA alum. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't know that my opinion has changed that much where I think that he's going to be a, a valuable scoring role player, but I don't know that he's going to be that much more than that. His personality has been a one from day one that, that we can say. Do you want to move on to number two or do you have more to say on Edwards? I'm ready. All right. Second pick James Weissman of the golden state warriors. I will say that I was high on him going in and I'm even higher now. That's just how I'll lead this one off. I was medium on him going in, if not low, and I'm definitely higher on him now. There's Looking at what he's done early on in Golden State, there's, I feel like, more defensive optionality to him there. He's done really well out of the paint when he's in his defensive stances. Sometimes he's just he seemed a little stiff, and like he's definitely getting exploited in those situations. And it feels like he's making, at points, like good decisions around the rim where he can be a viable backline protector. Offensively, I'd be curious to see like what he's going to look like if they do ever put the ball in his hands a lot, but already just being able to slice through the defenses when they do run pick and rolls for him. And he's shown that he can hit the wide open jumpers from everywhere. You'd probably like to see the release quicken a little bit at this point, but if he's going to be able to, he's, he's shooting a good percentage on his wide open threes. He's not taking a ton of them, but to hit those shots like at the five spot and as a rookie, like that's really all I think you could ask for. And I'll be interested to see, I don't know if you have any impressions, though, if they ever get to a point or if he's with another team in his career where they try and develop his ball skills more, what you think he can offer in that regard, because I don't have the greatest grasp of of what he looks like in that context. I don't think we can at this point, but ultimately, like this is a guy who isn't going to turn 20 until the final day of March. 
has played prior to this season three games above the high school level, had an extended hiatus before he was able to get back on the court again. And he looks like a switchable defensive big who can protect the rim in multiple situations and play a convincing two-way game with Steph Curry. Granted, Steph makes it easier for everyone to play a two-game, a two-player game with Steph Curry, but like he he, as you mentioned, has looked great slicing through the defense. He seems to have a good understanding of where to be and where to go. And I'm just ultimately like I'm I'm very impressed with what I've seen from him mentally at this stage of his career, entering like a fairly tough situation with a team that is expected to be competitive right from the get-go, but doesn't necessarily have the personnel in place to do that. So I, I, I love everything I've seen here. I would argue, I don't know what's going to happen with his time in Golden State, but if assuming they keep him, like probably learning defense under Dray- Draymond Green's tutelage has to be like one of the very best things possible for the beginning of his and career. And it seems like Green has really taken him under his wing too, as as much as we can tell from the outside perspective. Like it, it feels like that mentorship is fully happening. I'm 100% with you. And maybe one day Weissman will understand basketball how Draymond Green wants it to be understood. <laughs> maybe we should be framing this this way, though, too, to make it clear. So on Anthony Edwards, are you stock up or stock down? That's probably a good way to put it. I'm stock neutral on him. But granted, I was very low coming in. I'm stock. I'm probably stock slightly up to neutral. I'll lean towards slightly up. And for Weissman, we're both stock up. Yes. Hey everyone, before we get into today's pod, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. On top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all the other listening platforms. And the best part is, you get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com dot com slash join that's bwhustle.com slash join check out our description box for this episode to find out more but that's bwhustle.com slash sugar ray leonard roberto duran marvelous marvin Hagler, and thomas hearns legends whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history relive their decade of dominance in the new showtime sports documentary the king's a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Join. Uh, the next one is who? I I was so high on LaMelo Ball coming into this draft. Um, I thought that he should have been the number one pick, uh, for the uh, not for the Charlotte Hornets, obviously, because that's where he ended up at number three. And I'm still stock up. Like, this, this dude just, he seems like he's going to be a superstar. The, the magnetic personality... The the shot coming around quicker than expected, albeit with some of these random leg kicks on the jumper that make me question how sustainable and consistent that shooting form is going to be. But when you pair all that with just the absolutely immaculate and creative passing that he's displaying as a rookie without having his turnovers climb up too high, he's he is an unbelievably impressive offensive player. And I have no reason to think anything other than superstardom in his future. 
Ooh, superstardom. That's interesting. I'd be. I'll go. I'll, I'll include the super. Not not the super duper stardom yet. Who like the superstardom? So he's not like on Frank Nilakina's trajectory, is what you're saying? Correct. All right. I'm glad we're on the same page there. I'm stock way up for him too, and I was probably lower on him coming in. I just the shot selection worried me, and what was the efficiency going to be like? The sample size again is incredibly small, but he is shooting 57.1% on pull-up twos and 40% on pull-up threes, and he's shown that he can work off the ball. And you just couple that with his passing, and it's like this guy probably is going to play. He has, I would say, all I would go as far as this looks like someone who could be one of the 25 best players in the league, which at some point, not right now, obviously, and that's. You know, especially from this past draft where it felt like there was so much uncertainty near the top. That's a hell of a player to wind up with. I would argue that Charlotte might even need to unleash him a little bit more. And maybe also as well, their decision to have Gordon Hayward is probably being validated to some extent where it is taking some of the pressure off of him. The The, the way they got to Gordon Hayward is what we've always questioned, but that is fair to note that it does feel like he's in probably a more favorable situation for his numbers and just overall performance than he would have been had Charlotte decided to steer fully into the bottom. I think LaMelo has made Terry Rozier look better as well, just because he has less defensive attention focused on him and doesn't need to be in the spotlight as we're analyzing whether that contract was a bad decision. It has not been good for Devontae Graham, whose shooting slump I think is going to push him into a far smaller role in the rotation in the imminent future, unless he just has like one of those 10 of 10 games. Yeah, he's. I thought they couldn't trade him going into free agency next summer, but that might just be a name like another team should maybe take a flyer on him because he was a really good shot creator last year, even when his efficiency was coming down and it, everything is just just off for him. I think this year he is shooting, just a fun fact, 26% at the rim, which is you know actually lower than he's shooting on above the break threes right now, which is 27%. <laughs> I'm surprised the numbers are that high, honestly. The it rim one? Like he just... You can't throw a beach ball in the ocean right now. He's never been a good finisher at the rim. He's small, but 26% even through 10 games is surprising. Surprisingly big. I was excited about three guard lineups with Rozier, Devontae Graham, and LaMelo. I'm not excited about those anymore. Terry Rozier, though, has quietly been really good now in the past He's, two seasons. He might like generate some all-star conversation if he keeps this up. Whoa, I'm not. This feels like when we crowned Devontae Graham himself an all-star last year. Let's maybe not go that far. Well, I, I think that is there, there, there are there is even all-stars this year. There's no all-star game. Yeah, the, the, the teams will still the teams are still going to be named. They're just not going to play a game. So you they will still get credit for being an all-star. Just in good. Game. I hope voting goes off the rails because there's not going to be a game. Like let's get. I mean, Mitchell weird. Trubisky was just named the Nickelodeon MVP of a playoff game. So like anything can happen. Apparently, man, poor the poor kids who their first exposure to football was having to watch the Bears on Nick. Just imagine those youths. I feel bad yeah. for them. I'm not a big football guy, yeah. so maybe maybe the you know, pivot to the NBA now. You you've seen Mitchell Trubisky. <laughs> now come watch Lamelo Ball. I think that's a great idea. New marketing campaign. We are moving to Chicago, though, with this next player. Yeah, see, that was a good segue, unintentionally. Uh, but yeah, next player is uh, is number four pick, Patrick Williams. And I'm, I'm going to be very curious for your take here because I don't really know where my stock has gone here because this was such a unique set of circumstances where Patrick Williams was overdrafted because of the ridiculously high perceived ceiling. But he was also the youngest NCAA prospect going into the draft. He was supposed to be really raw, and yet the Bulls are playing him, and he's been impressive 
but also now seems like maybe a little bit overhyped where like he's hitting his shots. I like the switchability I'm seeing on defense. I like the awareness I'm seeing on defense. He seemed to genuinely learn from the tough matchups that he's playing against. He's already faced off against Giannis Antetokounmpo and Kawhi Leonard and LeBron James. His post-game quotes are really indicative of a player who gets it and wants to get better. But like he's getting compared to Kawhi Leonard already. And I feel like that's just setting the bar unsustainably high and setting him up for failure. Yeah, there's. I don't see that on offense. Like, I don't see even the, when he was with the Spurs. I don't like, even I don't see it on defense. No, he's that's not like to his defense. Could it's you a compliment if, to Kawhi? Right, and it's if he eventually gets there, like okay, maybe. But I don't see like the same level of quickness. Like, there's not that ubiquity on the defensive end. I will say, I'm still stock up, and you know, I was high on him to begin with. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and I, I think that's totally valid. But. I think the two things I've been impressed most with is like there's actual shot making there on the offensive end. Some of it's when it's you know him hitting these pull up jumpers. Yeah, that's encouraging, but there's still like this graduality to it where it feels predictable or he's not moving quick enough. But like maybe that extra speed or that extra gear comes in time. Uh, but he's hitting his shots, and then on defense, the biggest concern I think among the consensus was could he hold up outside of the four because it looked like the Bulls were going to put him on these sort of you know twitchy wings or explosive wings, and he's handled that not only better than you could have expected by those standards, but I think in general, just compared to rookies, you already mentioned some of the matchups and, you know, he was all over the place when the bulls were, you know, playing the Lakers made some really nice plays on and off the ball. Same thing with the Clippers. And that's, I think what makes me highest on him is that because he's already able to do that as a rookie. No, I I don't look at him and see the next Kawhi, but I don't know that we looked at Kawhi in the first two to three years of Kawhi and saw Kawhi, which is, but I don't see in terms of like pure archetypes. Like I, I think, if I can throw out a different, ridiculously lofty, overly optimistic I'm going to see if you're throwing out the same name I'm thinking of. He plays more on defense like Giannis than Kawhi to me. Oh, okay. I was where that. you still have the positional flexibility, but I view Kawhi as more of a dominant wing defender who can do everything else. And I view Kawhi as more of the dominant forward defender who can do everything else and kind of thrives more off the ball than on it. And that's how I see Patrick Williams's career going, where if like he can be a poor man's Kawhi or a poor man's Giannis on defense, then that's a success. I was going to throw out, and you might be able to tell me how off base this would be, since I know you love him, was a Sean Marion type hmm. on defense. Yeah, I, I, I think that's totally valid as well. And I, I, I would view Sean Marion more in that Giannis pool than the Kawhi pool anyway. It's not an insult. If the, I feel like all of these comparisons are way too lofty at the moment. Right. And the fact that we're even willing to mention the names, albeit saying that they're optimistic projections, is encouraging for a guy who I think he turns like 16 tomorrow. <laughs> wow, he's younger than Jason Tatum, who just celebrated his 19th birthday for like the 12th time. Right. Yeah, that's right. crazy. Yeah. But yeah, I think, look, I've not enjoyed watching the Bulls. I've, I've seen that some people are like kind of getting higher on them over the past couple games. Patrick Williams is Patrick Williams has easily been my favorite thing about Chicago this year, and it's not even really close. I've enjoyed some moments from Kobe White, uh, but Patrick Williams is, you know, even I, who was super high on him and was kind of hoping that he'd be around there for the Knicks, like when they were drafting, I I thought four was too high. I thought that was just like, I thought that was just too high. And so that's why also why I'm stock up is that I thought the Bulls were even reaching there, but it feels like they might have made a, a really good decision, and I'll be interested to see just how he comes along on defense. Like, is there that dominant element to him? And then also I want to see his offensive ceiling. I just don't have a great feel for it where I feel like he's doing a bunch of things, but like, what is he going to be 
doesn't have to be dominant, but like specialize in what is going to be his offensive yeah. specialty. Yeah. And I don't have, maybe if listeners do throw it out to us, but I have zero feel for what that's going to be. Yeah, I think I'll go stock up as well, just because I did think it was a little too much of a reach for Chicago, and he has justified it to some extent. But I, I think I'm I'm just more excited about what I'm hearing after games than what I'm seeing during it still. And that's not even an insult to what he's doing during games. It's just like, I, I don't think you often have young rookies, especially, who have the presence of mind to talk about specifics in their matchups and how much they're learning from them and how much they're struggling in them as well. So just, you know, when he plays and has to guard Giannis and talks about how sore his chest is because he's bodying up too closely and he's learning from that kind of stuff, like those those are the, the kinds of awareness indicators that get me excited about these players. I'm with you. Number five, Isaac Okoro for the Cleveland Cavaliers. And I, I will be the first to admit here that I have not really seen him enough to have a firm indication of, of how I feel here. Yeah, you know, I, 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 from what I have watched, I'm impressed by the hustle and the instincts that he has, but I, I wanted him to be more than just this like gritty three and D role player. And I haven't seen enough both in terms of volume of watching him and what he's done on the court when I have to think he's going to be much more than that right now. Yeah. The, he missed, I think it was five games with an ankle sprain, and he was also on the, the COVID-19 health. Yeah, he was on the COVID protocol, yeah. So uh, I, you just haven't been able to see too much of him. The defensive hustle is clearly there. I like that his shot profile is kind of simplified, where it's like, hey, he's not going to take mid-rangers. It's just shots on the inside and, and shots from beyond the arc. And they have so many just other creators and better players that it doesn't surprise me that uh, he really hasn't had this opportunity to branch out on the the offensive end. Uh, that being said, based on what we kind of saw from him at the preseason, it does feel like there's another element there to his offense that they could probably put the ball in his hands more if they wanted to. I don't know how realistic that is to expect when they have Garland and Colin Sexton. Uh, Kevin Love will eventually be healthy, and then whatever is going to wind up happening with the Kevin Porter Jr. stuff. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what his role becomes, but I would say I'm stock neutral on him. I wouldn't say yeah, if, I'm in the same boat. I just, there hasn't been enough which, to, to, which I would say is a good thing because I was probably stock higher on him going into the preseason. Like, like after the preseason was done, I would have been higher than I initially was. And I'm, I'm stock neutral from there for someone who doesn't have the largest sample size, even in what is already small sample size theater. I would think that that's pretty encouraging. Yeah, I agree with you, but let's just move on just because I don't think we need to spend any more time there. Unless you have anything more to add? No. So we're going to skip straight past the sixth pick of the draft because Anyeka Kongwu is still recovering from his foot injury and has yet to debut for the Atlanta Hawks. And we're going to move on to number seven, Killian Hayes for the Detroit Pistons, who is now out for the rest of the season after only playing 148 minutes. And if you are anything but stocked down on him, then I don't know what you're watching because he shot 27.7% from the field and 25% on threes and looked entirely overmatched on both ends of the floor, no matter what he was doing. So I'm going to provide some pushback there. I'm probably more stock neutral on him. There's The efficiency was not great, but when you look at just the parameters under which he had to, to work, they weren't ideal either, just looking at Detroit's offense. And I feel right. I like... Mean, he was massively overextended. Yes. And so there's... He has, just coming around screens, it feels like there's a feel there from him. He's also... I think the floater game is eventually going to be fine. And I think his outside shooting, you know, as a spot-up shooter, I don't think he's going to... Or I don't see a guy who's going to hit all these off-the-dribble looks. I think he's going to be fine there too. And so I see what's going to be probably a pretty good offensive player... And the efficiency just hasn't indicated the same. 
I'm still stock neutral on him. The, the injury sucks. So now you're losing a season. I think you have to be stocked down in that regard. But I wouldn't lower his ceiling based on, or even my expectations for his career or what's going to happen next year based on what I saw. And again, the efficiency is bad. And I mean, we can go through those numbers. Uh, it's if we more than the efficiency. It's, it's just like how overly reliant he is on his left hand and how little confidence he has on the defensive end. And he just, he looks rookie. so, he did not look like he belonged on an NBA court at any point. He's 19 years old and right. Playing right. For the and Pistons. the ceiling could still, the ceiling could still be there. But when you draft somebody at number seven, even in, a weak draft class. You're expecting them to at least look like they belong in the NBA and don't need multiple years of seasoning over Caesar in the G League. I think that's where we fundamentally disagree is I don't know that I don't view him as an NBA player based off what we've seen. Like I'm I didn't think he was that overmatched. I'm not I'm in no way saying he can't get there. You just said just he's the worst the basketball player you've ever sample. seen since Anthony Edwards. That's absolutely <laughs> yeah, I'm and Frank Nicolina. Yeah. Wow. All right. Moving on to uh, a 30 second mention on Obi Toppin, who has played one game. Can you take us through? Yeah, Obi- I don't really know what there is to say about Obi Toppin, who is the eighth pick of the New York Knicks. He's played 24 minutes before he got hurt and has yet to come back. And what can you take away from that? One, I still wish the Knicks would have taken Devin Vassell or more preferably Tyrese Halliburton. But that's my one strong take Two. I think he's going to end up like I think the offensive bag is going to end up being as advertised, if not deeper. The you know he's only played one game, so he's shooting twenty five percent or no, he's shooting well from three still, but it's been one game. I think he's going to be a fine shooter. He's a better passer than I realized, and like he might be able to make some more complicated. And that's this is stuff coming from the preseason too. I ultimately do not think that he was the right pick for the Knicks, but it's just been I still have an open mind with him. I will say again though, I was impressed with his awareness during the preseason. Like he seemed to know when to get to the dunker spot and how to fill lanes, like all that was, was good. And what you would expect from a guy who was so dominant at exactly that kind of stuff in college, it would be I'm nice. still pretty high on him. Yeah. Uh, I think I was always higher than you. You, um, you definitely were. I want, he needs to be back on the court though. He's dealing with the right calf strain, which has caused him to miss all this time. And you know, Tibbs, the thing, first of all, I don't think the Knicks are going to, they're already starting to come down to earth and Tibbs is getting a little too veteran happy already at the moment. And I, what? I, no way. Well, look, his options are limited because Toppin's injured. Frank Nielakina is injured. I understand that Dennis Smith Jr. at this point probably just isn't playable. It's like, I get that. But Alec Burks has also been injured. And so it's like, that's one veteran who hasn't been getting minutes. I want to see Toppin on the floor. I want to see Nielakina. I want to see the Knicks just lean into lineups that have more than just RJ Barrett and Mitchell Robinson as their trademark youngsters. That's my this big. Is a long thirty-second section on Obi Toppin. That's my big takeaway. Takeaway from Obi Toppin is he needs to get healthy to save Tibbs from himself. I'm with you. Moving on to number nine, uh, Denny Advia for the Washington Wizards. Um, I'm going to go stock neutral here, and I mean that as a compliment because he was billed as that super NBA-ready guy who could immediately contribute in a number of areas. Might not have had that star-level ceiling, and that's exactly what we've seen so far. Like he just, he gets how to play. He's a smart defender. He's a smart offensive player who's willing to make the extra pass instead of taking even a good shot. He'll turn it down for a great one. He's, he's impressed me on defense. He pushes the pace when necessary. He's been able to fill every role that has been asked of him. Um, but he hasn't had any of those explosive performances that we never really expected. So it feels like he's the guy where the pre-draft scouting reports just absolutely nailed what he's going to be. I'm stuck up on him only because I was lower 
than you just coming into the season. And so him being this ready has sort of blown my mind. And with the exception of him just, you know, detonating for 20 points in that loss to Miami, he's just been like this a steadying force. And the defense is the thing that's just shocked me most is he's holding up positionally. It always feels like he's getting these deflections or steals off the ball. And then there's there's more to his he, he's a ball mover on offense and he can hit a lot of these catch and shoot looks, but there might be more for them to to plumb there. I don't know if you ever want him being like a full-fledged secondary creator, but he does like the handle feels a little loosey-goosey and high right now. But he I can't remember who he was playing at the time, but he hit this one step back above the break three, and I was just like, whoa. And so that's not something I was expecting from him immediately. And to have that element is huge. And then if you do have that element, I do think he's a smart enough passer already where he's making just quick, you know, second decisions uh, that maybe you can put the ball in his hands as just the anchor of these lineups. And so I'm probably stock way up on him, which might just be more of an indication of how little I one liked him slash really knew about him coming into the league. Okay. So what do you think about this comparison? Cause I'm, I'm starting to view his ceiling as like, vintage portland trailblazers era nicholas batum but in the modern nba that's interesting i could kind of see that he feels a little bit more of someone who's like you're going to feel him more than nicholas batum i i I just think they're going to be more he's willing to take more higher profile offensive looks or gambles in that regard where i feel like nick batum is like this very safe well for a while, Max contract Nick Batum was a completely different experience. I made sure to to specify that I'm talking vintage Trailblazers era. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's an apt comparison. Maybe a, a flashier version of of that player. I don't yeah, know like if that by the the modern lack of constraints on positions. The J.R. Smith of prime Nicholas Batum's. So basically, we've like put J.R. Smith's brain in Nicholas Batum's body. And that's Denny Advia. Uh, Advia already feels like he's a better, smarter passer and defender than that. So it's just, just who's like, who's maybe the Lou Williams of Nicholas Batum's, but then that just really torpedoes the defensive end. I'll work on this. It's got to be like a player who's really good, but takes just like a bunch of chances, maybe that he shouldn't at some point. So maybe like Lance Stevenson's brain. No, that's, I just don't really like Lance Stevenson as a person. So. I'm trying to find someone else there, but we'll work on it. Lance Stevenson's on court brain. Maybe J- the Jared Jack of Nicholas Batum's. Okay. I feel like we're veering off the rails here. We apologize, Wizards fans, but I'm stock up for him, and he's going to be what looks like a, a really good NBA player. And, uh, you know, they. This has been a really weird way to compliment him, basically. I'm not even trying to insult him. I just think that he's like. Nicholas Batum is very good at playing within himself, or prime Nicholas Batum was. I feel like Avi is going to try and push his boundaries, and he might be able to, but that's just something I feel like Nick Batum never did or had to do, is my my overarching fair, point. Fair. That's probably kind of where I'm putting it. I'm very it. curious to see how you're going to sell this section in the timestamps. I'm just putting Denny Avi's name with a timestamp. <laughs> that's it. Fair enough. Uh, so moving on to the 10th pick of the draft, uh, Jalen Smith for the Phoenix Suns. I was not excited about this pick when it was made. I have also watched exactly zero of the 20 minutes that he spent on the court in his two appearances to this point, And I am handing the talking stick fully to you. I was incredibly low on him. I thought that was a, I still think it was a bad pick. Imagine Devin Vassell on the Suns right now, or even Tyrese Halliburton learning under Chris Paul and, and even Devin Booker there. 
there's definitely just the element of someone who can put more pressure on the rim and put the ball on the floor more than I thought on offense in the, the I've actually watched all 20 minutes of his play this year. So I, I promise, promise you that I did That's that. That's 20 more than me. There you go. Uh, and he's, he's out because he's in the health and safety protocols at the moment, I believe. Yeah. That's what he's, that's what he's out with. I don't, I just don't know. He has to probably show more on defense. And I was, you know, he seems more physical on that end than I thought. So maybe you can get away with playing him at the five and the four. I honestly don't know. I think maybe I'm getting caught up too much in how I think there were better fits for them, but I'd be stock neutral. I don't know that I expect a ton from him long-term. If if he's going to outperform my expectations, he's going to need the opportunity. I don't know if it'll be there in Phoenix so long as you have both or all three of Sarich, Cam Johnson, who's going to spend time at the four, and then DeAndre Ayton as well. Yeah. Which is why it was always a weird pick from the start. Should have been Devin Vassell. I think would have been the optimal pick for them there which incidentally speaking of which yeah yeah, he's the number 11 pick for the san antonio spurs and it's it's always hard to criticize any spurs pick because you know that greg popovich is going to coach him up and make sure they're filling the right kind of role and it seems like that's exactly what's happened um he is just like already this three and d stalwart he's had trouble finishing on his mid-range jumpers what few he's taken he's had trouble finishing around the basket but he's shooting 47.1% on threes, and he's played pretty impressive defense in a wide variety of wing roles. So I, the stock is is up for me, and it was already high. I'm saying stock neutral just because I was so high on him. I still think there's an element of, and you're going to need to see him improve his finishing in between, like you already mentioned, particularly at the basket, if you want to explore more of his on-ball work. I think there's more that he has to offer there, though. And he hasn't. I'm not saying the Spurs need to put the ball in his hands and say go. I want to see him get even – I mean, maybe it's not as big of a problem now because of the Derek White injury, uh, toe injury, but let's see him get even more more minutes, some of Rudy Gay's minutes too. There's He's a really good player already, and I don't know that I expected anything less. Watching him cut is just super fun, and that's on the basketball court. I'm not trying to be, like, gruesome there. Uh, the other thing too is you mentioned his defense. I don't know that you can say any rookie's a net positive on defense, but it already feels like he knows what's going on off the ball. And I'm like, he's been a net positive on defense already. Yeah, that's like, that's basically where it is. And so maybe smarter minds can push back a little bit there. And I'm sure there have been some mistakes, but when I watch him, it just always feels like he's in the right spot of where the action is happening. Like even just his rotations around the basket when he's playing a position and spot at times where he doesn't really even need to be there, but he's not selling out. He's just always in the right spot to, to make these plays. So I want more Devin Vassell minutes, but I was so high on him to begin with. I think he was my second uh, favorite player in this class overall. I don't know that I had him number two on my very unscientific big board, but I, I thought that his ceiling was just sky high and that hasn't changed for me. I will be interested moving forward this year and into the future. Um, if the Spurs don't make any moves this season, if he does get the chance to have just a slightly bigger offensive role. Yeah. I just, I don't know that that's really going to happen with this current roster construction with DeJounte Murray and Lonnie Walker is starting to get more opportunities and they like to put the ball in Keldon Johnson's hands and LaMarcus Aldridge is still there yeah it just doesn't feel like he's going to get an opportunity to be anything more than this three and D standout and that might be fine which is fine just they totally maximize him in that role, which he seems capable of filling to a T. But even look, you're looking at Mills, Gay, Aldridge, and DeRozan are all free agents after this year. There's no way all of them are coming back. And I would I would say that probably two of them need to go for the line. This season anyway, they would need to go because Derek White, White's out. Let's say if that's you know actually indefinitely. If they end up moving two of those guys, maybe it opens the door. Yeah. Long term though, like you probably need because you have White and Murray and even Walker – 
uh, and Johnson. I want to include Keldon Johnson in that. I'm so high on him. He so. is. Has he been like their second best player so far? DeMar DeRozan's been really good this year. I think he's been their second best player. He's up. He's, so. he's up there. So, but this isn't a Keldon Johnson podcast. It can be if you'd like. It to should be. That. It should be. Um, another player who we we just both hated going into the draft is the number twelve pick. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton of the, the Sacramento <laughs> Kings. And by by hated, I mean he was both of our rookie of the year picks. Uh, we both shed tears when our favorite teams did not draft him because he would have fit in both spots. We shed tears again when the Phoenix Suns didn't take him because he would have been a perfect fit there. And then we came to realize that he just would have been a perfect fit anywhere, even in Sacramento. That's my intro. Yeah, uh, I practiced that one. He is, okay. He has an effective field goal percentage on pull-up jumpers of 83.3. Now, I know the sample size is incredibly small. It's 11 of 18 on pull-ups. That's still ridiculous, and he's 8 of 12 on pull-up threes so far. He can work off the ball so well. He's smart on defense already, but he's just pesky. Everything he does is so scalable, and I think once the Kings start to commit to playing even faster, he might become more of a weapon for them just because he's willing to get back on defense. And so like there, there could be some opportunities for him to make big plays there. And I, I want to, I just want to see more of Tyrese Halliburton, like kind of piloting the offense and De'Aaron Fox is there. So that obviously matters. And De'Aaron Fox is really good. But as we sort of move forward, like even just some of these lineups that don't have De'Aaron Fox ready, he just feels like such a good anchor for Sacramento at both ends of the floor. And he has been easily to me, the most, well-rounded rookie and i would say the best rookie until this point is any of the first year players been better than him maybe lamello ball he might be that good still but yeah i mean like what halliburton has done already is just absolutely incredible like all the things you mentioned plus serving as a steadying force in crunch time situations as a rookie plus proving that his shooting can translate which was in question going into the draft, plus making his opinions heard loud and clear on social media about political topics, which I respect the hell out of, just like he's checked all the boxes. Yeah, he's just, he's been so good. And there is, he hit, I can't even remember the team that they were playing, but he hit on Friday. Was that, that wasn't the the Warriors game, was it? No, I can't even remember what team, but he hit like this just absurd uh, step back three. They were playing the Raptors and he hit a, a step back three with a ball fake thrown in there. Yeah, he's it's for just, the left corner, right? Yeah, he's like it was. I think it was more closer above the break, but he's just so he's just so good. I I really wish well, that I, the Knicks would. I do know which one because it, it was it was a couple of possessions before he hit that fall away three from the left corner. Yeah, and Both he I think on the very play. next possession of the three that I'm talking about, he like picked up a steal on the. He's just everywhere, and he's he would be my rookie of the year pick still right now. I, I totally understand people who think it might be Lamelo Ball, and it, look if they commit to starting him and just giving him even more minutes, there's a chance that he ends up being the, the clear pick there. I mean, those are the two obvious front runners. Like, I don't think there's anyone else who is even in the discussion at this point. For To actually win Rookie of the Year, I, I can't even name yeah. anybody. Yeah. yeah. Is there anyone Moving that you on can to even number see 13. breaking in? Oh. No, I was going to say, is there anyone mm, that you can even that's see? That's a good question. Maybe Patrick Yeah, I Williams? mean, I think... I don't, I don't think Patrick Williams is, has the ceiling this year to get there. I could see Obi Toppin getting healthy and and making enough noise for a Knicks team that somehow commits to young players. I could see Anthony Edwards like having something click and scoring enough points to curry favor in an award that typically goes to the guy who scores the most points. Um, 
but beyond that, probably not. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't actually know that I would even put anybody in there. I'm struggling to think of who could catch them. Maybe I think Patrick. Even Williams, those were stretches. Yeah. Yeah, Patrick Williams would probably be the most likely one for me. And just maybe if the Warriors said, "Hey, we're going to play now that Draymond Green is back, we're going to mirror their minutes identi- identically or something, or just play him a, a bunch more than they have." But even that then rests on just him, not even just doing right. what he's done, but actually improving in, in more minutes. Yeah, it seems unlikely. I know that number thirteen is not going to work his way into the Rookie of the Year conversation this season um, because it is Kyra Lewis Jr. for the New Orleans Pelicans, and he has played only 13 minutes, and it definitely seems like it's because he just isn't ready to fill a larger role, even for a team that isn't quite sure whether it's fully rebuilding or just partially rebuilding. Yeah, I will say, though, for what they need when looking at their half-court offense, like there's a chance that he could be it. It's just not going to be this season. And they might just give him the Nikhil Alexander-Walker treatment this year like they did to to him last year. And so I wouldn't expect him to work his way in there. I do think that he's going to end up being the type of guard, though, that can really orchestrate things in in the half-court, who you can also play alongside another ball ball dominant guy which works out because you have Brandon Ingram there already and there's a chance that you also have Lonzo Ball there too I think I'm stocked down on him in the short term just because I did think that he was ready to fill a bigger role than this just because of his his quickness his speed in the open court and his overall ball handling acumen Um, but I I am not stocked down I'm definitely just stock neutral overall because I, I think that New Orleans has demonstrated that it is willing to commit more to a long-term plan than giving in to those immediate that that need for immediate contribution. We saw it with Zion Williamson when they handled him so carefully with the injuries. We saw it with Nikhil Alexander-Walker, as you mentioned, and I think we're seeing it now here too. Yeah, there's and look, if it wasn't clear before, we were both stock up on Tyrese Halliburton. I don't know if we noticed that. Yeah, but... <laughs> I, I don't think we really needed to say that. Uh, yeah, I don't know that you can be uh, – if you're talking about specifically to this season, yeah, it has to be stocked down because it doesn't feel like there's going to be opportunity for him there unless New Orleans does make a, a trade, which is possible because Bledsoe is not a part of the future. Lonzo Ball's entering restricted free agency. Maybe something happens. Long term, though, I haven't – we haven't been able to see anything that would make me lean one way or the other. Agreed. As opposed to number 14, Aaron Neesmith of the Boston Celtics, where you know he, he was billed as a shooting specialist coming in, except he hasn't been making his shots in the admittedly small sample so far. Um, he's played 39 minutes over three games. He's shooting 25% from the field, 22.2% from three-point range, has yet to attempt a free throw. I'm just I'm worried that he's not capable enough in the other areas to allow Boston to get the most of his shooting specialty because he's just – He's looked so overmatched to me in just about every facet of the game in that that brief time. Yeah, I feel like everything he does happens in slow motion a little bit, but he's also played like, you know, the minutes that he's gotten have not even been like real NBA minutes, and so it's tough to gauge that. I do think his shooting is eventually going to normalize and he'll just be he'll be fine. Uh, does he do enough other things though to justify staying on the court, uh, especially when they have, you know, Peyton Pritchard in front of him in addition to a healthy eventually Kemba Walker? And you know, the guard rotation's like all over the place right now. There's Romeo Langford's eventually going to be healthy too. There are just so many names that you could throw in this boat. Carson Edwards still exists, by the way, in case anyone was was wondering. So it doesn't seem like the Celtics want him to or know that anyway. So yeah, I don't know. I'd probably be stocked down on him though, to be honest with you. I think and, so too. Yeah. And that's just the, the fairest assessment is I don't know what else he's going to end up bringing. Even if there's more ball skills on offense than we've seen, I'm just not uh, unbelievably high. And part of that just might be, and I'm sure we'll get to him as we 
to talk about these more noteworthy rookies outside the lottery. Peyton Pritchard has just played so well where it's like, well, is the opportunity in Boston ever going to be there for Neesmith? That's where I'm at with Neesmith, where it's like, I don't know if it was just a bad landing spot for him, but I just, again, based on 39 minutes of play, like this could not be indicative of his future. It might be. We just don't know because the sample is so small, but I don't know that he's ever going to get a chance to show off those shooting skills. He's just, I don't, I don't know that he is good enough in other areas to ever get that chance in Boston. And it's hard to believe that, you know, a guy who is going to, go down as a number 14 pick who doesn't play much is going to get that chance elsewhere. Yeah, I'm with you. Who else is uh, who's standing out for you, stock up or stock down from this draft class? And the one thing I'll say yeah. going through this, I don't think we had many, if any, stock downs. This draft class has been, once you step outside the traditional context of, oh, there wasn't enough superstar power at the top, and I'm in agreement there there wasn't. It looks like this draft class, though, is still deep in in the – the lens of having actual NBA talent of guys who can contribute. I feel like we teams. said that from the start too, where it's like, look, like if you look past the lack of power at the top, there are a lot of guys who are going to contribute to rotations for a long time. Yeah. And I, I do feel like that's what we've seen. So, who yeah, is, so I, I wrote down a couple non-lottery picks who have impressed me to this point. I, I don't really have any stock downs outside of the lottery just because if you weren't drafted in those top 14 picks, like the expectations were low, like maybe you could be, disappointed with Cole Anthony's shooting percentages or something but he's also being tasked with a significant role as as a rookie who needs time to grow um so yeah the, the guys who have impressed me so far uh number 19 Sadiq Bay of the Detroit Pistons I've been really impressed by his shot by his ability to get to those open spaces working off the ball I think that his role is only going to continue to grow in Detroit uh Tyrese Maxey at number 21 for the Philadelphia 76ers where just we, we've seen that one game where they were ultra shorthanded because everyone was in the health and safety protocols and I think he went for 39 points if I remember correctly just that explosive scoring ability is is always impressive at every level player just yeah at every, at level. every level um Emmanuel quickly who I'm sure you'll you'll want to talk more about um at number 25 for the New York New York Knicks as you mentioned Peyton Pritchard the next pick of the Boston Celtics uh Desmond Bain has been the NBA ready shooter we thought he could be for the Memphis Grizzlies as the number 30 pick and I just want to point out that the number 56 pick of the draft Grant Riller has yet to miss a shot <laughs> uh, I knew we weren't going to make it through this podcast with with uh without getting some uh grant ruler propaganda there there's i wouldn't add anything to the players you're talking about except if we wanted to talk about quickly a little bit it, there is a feel for the game there outside of just his shooting of someone who can competently run point guard for new york he has a little bit of like a a subtle floater to him like that little bit of an in-between game and it, it looks like he can competently make those reads coming out of the pick and roll so he's lost not the loss but he's he is playing definitively behind alfred payton in minutes that that matter so that'll and he did miss time so there's there's that to talk about but i i hope they end up leaning on him more going forward um some other names that stood out to me and that i do not think you mentioned um tail maladon has been just fantastic in oklahoma city in a sense that i feel like he's going to be he's already like one of the most confident passers that there might like the decisions he makes he's just so confident that they're going to to work out and they they don't always do like that's just clear but i feel like he's going to be end up being a, a pretty good uh offensive player in in the nba i'll reiterate tyrese Maxey, like you said just like the sixers might have found a three-level scorer who can work on or off the ball and is going to bust his ass to to defend when he's on the ball as well like that's a huge find at number 21 
And this is, maybe I was just too low on him. I'd say stock up for this guy, but Isaiah Stewart just uh, has more switch to him on defense, I think, than I ever gave him credit for. And he's just kind of like, you feel his minutes when he's on the court thus far of what I've seen from the the Pistons anyway. And so super impressed with with him there. And uh, yeah, that's I think that's really, those are my only strong impressions of, of these rookies. I don't know that I look at anyone and say like, I'm super stocked down. The something that, that maybe Cole Anthony, you mentioned one that might be fair to look at, but like you said, the the circumstances under which he's playing matter. And then I think I don't know what I would say about this player, but I am officially intrigued by him. Would be Alexei Pokashevsky in Oklahoma City. There is like a real fluidity to his game, and it's so jumbled and janky right now. I don't know what he's going to become. I still think he was a reach. Where did he end up going? Number seventeen, but. I am officially intrigued. I don't know. I guess that makes him stock up for me, but he's someone that I'm just going to be monitoring more closely going forward. I'll give you a couple uh, non-draft pick rookies who have impressed me as well, since we're just talking about the whole rookie class. Uh, Jay Sean Tate for yeah, the Houston Rockets. Sure. I'm I'm totally into his defensive effort and awareness already. Uh, I think it's telling that he's already carved out like a a fairly substantial role in an admittedly thin rotation, but like Houston seems to trust him on that end, which is big. And and the same goes for Facundo Campazzo for the Denver Nuggets, where we knew going in that he's such an experienced player from all his overseas action that he was going to be able to immediately translate. And he has been that exact kind of pesky guard that we expected him to be. Um, But then the more, the more unknown guys um, in a very small sample, uh, Nathan Knight for the Hawks has impressed me. I'd like to see more from him. Um, just a bigger guy who, yes. who can shoot, who can really stretch the floor. And then Sam Merrill for the Milwaukee Bucks. I don't know much about him, but he's displayed this shocking all-around game where he's been able to contribute, again, in very limited samples in just a number of different roles as a facilitator, as a scorer, as a, a floor spacer, as a competent defender. Like he, I, I want to see more from him too. The this one's higher profile. You Nathan Knight, by the way, too. He had the one game. I think what was it? Hawks. I'm just not remembering any of these opponents. I've seen too much basketball at this point. But he, they were just so banged up. Like they don't have a Kung Wu, and I don't think you're definitely talking about the Memphis game. Yeah, like that was just lightning rod in that. So that's someone who's definitely worth watching moving forward. And I can't remember if you mentioned him. I know he's higher profile, but Precious Achua in Miami just already playing real minutes for them, and seems to have a great awareness when he's off the ball. And there's, excuse me. There's there's a huge motor there, and he not so much in the regular season. I think it was during the preseason. Like he showed, like hey, maybe he'll have some more range too on the offensive end. And he feels like he's a very high IQ player right now. And so there's again, like we've said, this is deep with talent to at least worth monitor as we move into to the longer term. Here, there was very few stock downs, and we're not. Maybe we are. Like optimism is always good, I would say. But nor I don't know that you could be definitively so down on anyone at this point. Aside from you thinking Killian Hayes is the worst basketball player you've ever seen. That and being the worst I haven't seen. Yeah. <laughs> that does it for us, though. Unless you have anything else to add. No, I think we covered a lot of players here, which is a testament to the depth of this class. I can't believe I forgot Nathan Knight. He should have been at the top of the podcast. That is my big regret. We will leave you, though, with this. Please, please, pretty please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Whether or not you use iTunes, though, head over there, search Hardwood Knox, write a review, throw us a five-star rating, five-star ratings only, and then write whatever you want in the review. Mean, constructive criticism, happy, whatever, thoughts about why Frankie Lakina is the best player you've ever seen. 
We really do appreciate that. Follow us on Twitter at Hardwood Knox. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where our podcasts are posted as well. YouTube.com, search Hardwood Knox. Until next time, though, we leave you with a shout-out to the one, the only, should have been mentioned sooner in this podcast, rookie and two-way contract holder, Nathan Knight. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.